Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, once again, my kind and fabulous people out there. Uh, we are back again on Podcast Land and also on uh, Radio Land. Uh, this is WTLP Digital Broadcast on uh, Transform You Live Radio Media Broadcast Network. Uh, I'm your host, Marcus Hart, and this is a Transform You Live show. I am back again with a great, wonderful guest. Um, he is uh, just a joy to talk to. I was talking to him on the other side. Uh, we had some laughs. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the spirit in this person. Uh, this person uh, is uh, doing some great things. He has uh, several books, uh, just a wealth of knowledge, and he uh, brings a story uh, that, if you look at the title, uh, it will captivate you right away. It seemed like a good time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. A true story that brings us back in time. Uh, it starts by saying that they were simply a bunch of smart kids doing their best in a very difficult, almost impossible situation. Join them as they sought meaning, love, understanding, and purpose in places, situations that challenged them to the fullest. And it goes on further. But about the author a little bit, we're talking to Tom Corbett. He is a senior scientist and also affiliate of the Institute for Research on Poverty at in my own back door on the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he served as an associate and acting director for a decade before his retirement. He also received um, many decorations uh, for social welfare from the University of Wisconsin and taught various social policy uh, and many other courses. And then he's uh, had some highlights here, you know, where he uh, worked with government at the local, state, and national levels, including where he helped develop, develop the um, infamous uh, President Clinton's welfare reform legislation, uh, which I'm very intrigued. Um, one of the, I have some questions about it. <laughs> so uh, so uh, we might get into that. We may not, you know, uh, who knows. But uh Regardless of fact, he, he still lives in Madison, so he's not that far away from him, uh, f- from me. So um, if we weren't in quarantine, I, I may uh, walk um, from Milwaukee to get to him. So uh, without further ado, let's talk with Mr. Corbett. So how are you doing today, Tom? Well, just fine. I'm like you. I'm quarantined as well. Uh, we all are, I suppose. Yeah. Is it okay uh, if I call you, Tom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can call me anything except late for dinner. That's the only <laughs> Yeah. So we, we are both Wisconsin nice. So that's, you know, uh, you know, when I saw that right away, I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to like this guy. So I, I, I know I can, I know I can uh, bother him, you know, and, and annoy him uh, quite easily. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm originally from Worcester, Massachusetts. So originally I'm an East Coast, but I've been in uh, Wisconsin uh, for about 50 years now. So I guess that makes me a cheese head. Uh, yeah, you're, natu- you're naturalized now. So, you know. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Most people get stuck here, you know, and don't be able to get out. <laughs> yeah, they, they close off the border so people don't flee. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, Madison I, in Milwaukee. So Madison's a great place to live, and uh, I enjoyed it immensely. And of course, when I retired from the university, uh, I didn't leave uh, because it is a, a wonderful place. And retiring from the university also gave me an opportunity to do something that I've I had wanted to do uh, since I was a little kid, which is to write books. Um, and I won't go too deeply into this, but. Uh, I grew up in a, in a very uh, relatively poor working class neighborhood, and I, I, I had to have been the only kid uh, within a 30 mile radius that that dreamt of uh, writing books when he became an adult. Everyone else wanted to be a star athlete or a cowboy or a uh, mafia guy or something. Yeah. Uh, and there, there weren't many people who were had literary aspirations, but. I had decided as I got older and uh, went through school that I, I, I wanted to uh, eat three square meals a day and have a roof over my head. So I chose an academic route, which I enjoyed immensely. And as you said, um, I uh, not only taught and did research and ran a research institute of national repute, but uh, did a lot of consulting all around the country and in, in Washington. And uh, I, I can I can say right now to anticipate a question that might come later, I'm not responsible for the Clinton welfare bill, yeah. <laughs> but I did battle in Washington uh, uh, during those days, and it was a, a lot of fun. I enjoyed that very much. But when I stepped aside, I had a chance to go back and uh, do some writing, uh, which I had put on the back burner, and it's been very fulfilling. I've really really enjoyed doing that. And the latest one, as you mentioned, is it seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, looks at part of my life. And I have a couple of others that looked at other parts, including my policy career. But that's the latest one. So I don't know if you have some specific questions about it, but shoot. Well, I like it. You know, you you really took the time out to really calculate uh, what your transformation journey look like because you know that that's usually the opening question and you know you really had some time to just reflect on where you were as a kid you know this was your passion writing but of course you know reality sits in you know we have to make money we have to we have to uh, do but you know from that you you had some experiences you know you where you know you you had this political route for a little, little while you had some touches with you know exposure to you know what it's like you know in the in the in, in the in the public sector in the private sector uh, and but but how how has this been infused into your your writing because you you, you you know, there there is touches of your story uh, in your writing. You know, what what important aspect of your experience uh, does does it come into play? Well, I you know I, I think that that um, in general, staying not writing early in my in, in my life, not, not writing personal books early in my life. I wrote a lot of papers, uh, reports, academic uh, books. 
Uh, but this personal writing, I saved as I retired. And I think that that was probably a benefit in retrospect. I mean, who knows? Maybe I would have become a very famous author and rich like Stephen King. But that's not likely to have happened. And, and waiting until um, I, was, uh, I was a little bit older gave me a lot of rich experience uh, to write about and a lot of depth. Uh, so I've written both memoirs, uh, sort of quasi-academic books, but in a very uh, sort of easy style and fiction. So those are the three kinds of things that I, I have done. And all of them, I think, profited, even the fiction, by having this varied and rich uh, life to, to draw on. Because uh, if you don't have the experiences, you don't have a you don't have that reservoir of vignettes and insights and so forth uh, to uh, on which to to build you know, your, your narratives and and your storylines. But I think uh, also uh, there is a certain amount of just inbred talent that you need, and I'm not saying I'm William Faulkner or Ernest Hemingway, but uh, even when I was an academic and writing academic stuff, what I was praised for, even by the hard-headed economists around me, was that I wrote uh, with style. And uh, I think that, you know, you, you kind of either have it or not. And I always uh, feel that it's the Irish part of me that, uh, you know, has that basic storytelling uh, ability. Uh, I still remember... Uh, being in college way back when, uh, undergrad, and uh, thinking about, boy, someday I'd like to be a writer, and running into my English lit professor in the lunch line, I think. And I said, you yeah, know, someday I'd like to be you know, a writer. And I'm sure he looked at me thinking, oh, my God, not another one. Uh, <laughs> but he only said one thing. He said, can you tell a good story? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an answer for him then. I just, I think, probably stood there mute. And he thought, oh, boy, another dullard. But uh, I think, you know, all these years later, I think I proved to myself, at least, that I can tell a good story. So these stories, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, are about my group, my Peace Corps group. Uh, and we served back in the 1960s. Uh, so it, it was uh, what we call the, the Wild West of the, of the overseas service experience. And when Peace Corps was new and they were still making huge mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were all full of inspiration and passion, I think, that was part of the 1960s and part of, the, you know, sort of the lessons that Kennedy sort of bequeathed to us, you know. Uh, you know, ask what you can do for your country, go out and save the world, all those good kinds of things. And uh, they scooped a whole bunch of us off of college campuses, gave us some training, and then dropped us into remote uh, villages in India to do good and, and save these places. And it was not the most well thought out program. So, you know, basically you had a bunch of really smart kids, and and, and like, uh, only a, uh, only a, a minority of them actually made it to India. I mean, it's a big deselection process and a culling out process. But the ones who made it, uh, they were really smart, 
We managed to survive. We didn't start World War III. I'm not sure uh, how much good we did for India, although there were some good projects and we did have some successes, but we changed. I mean, I think in retrospect, uh, when I think of uh, what all these, what this small group of people accomplished in life, and it's been remarkable. They wrote books, they got PhDs from the leading universities, they, uh, they make great contributions to the public good, either in you know, like the State Department, another one worked for the UN and refugee services for a number of years. It goes on and on and on. And uh, it, it, so I, I think that the choices we made, even though we were I think, relatively clueless at the time, uh, we benefited greatly and uh, it, it really enriched our lives going forward. But but I tell this t- tale, if you don't mind me just going on. Yeah, go ahead. With a lot of humor. Um, you know, I, and these, the stories, the actual individual stories were painstakingly collected uh, from the people themselves and, and integrated into one sort of long storyline. So I think it reads well and it's very interesting and it captures the mood of the time, uh, I think, uh, pretty well. So I'm, I'm proud of the way it, uh, it turned out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's so important, you know, and, and I think that is, you know, you, you really bring up some interesting points and you really drive home, you know, what, you know, life is, you know, especially at the beginning, you know, um, you know, and you can really, you know, feel the, 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 the fire in the, in the, in the, in the passion and, in your voice when you said that, like, you know, you know, the storytelling, you know, um, you know, can you, can you tell it, tell can you tell a good story, you know, and, and the love of telling a good story and, you know, um, you know, uh, what, what makes a good writer, um, you know, um, your, your urge and, and, and burn to, you know, be able to, uh, tell a good story and, um, going through this whole, uh, journey and transforming in your life, you know, uh, and in being able to, to notice it, you know, uh, even in the, in, in the peace, peace corps and, and, and we know, and we see this in, in the, in, even in legislation, you know, writing a piece of legislation, you know, they, they have these good narratives, these compelling narratives, uh, to, to a piece of legislation, uh, once it's drafted, you know, you know, uh, people look at it as a, as a, as a piece of bill being written, but if you look look at the body of the legislation, it has a good narrative that's written to it, and and once it's drafted and enacted, you know, and uh, and and then we experience it as as a whole, and and then it has this whole uh, whole uh, it takes a whole effect, and then we and and then over time, you know, it creates this whole storyline that we can tell and and live uh, live the tale and experience to to share uh, about our culture you know, for, for many, many years to come. Oh, I agree with you. I, uh, I, in the end, I spent a lot of time working with policymakers and legislators and politicians, but mostly a lot of people who actually design and, and, and manage policies as well. And at the end of the day, you have to tell a good story about what you're doing. Uh, I, yeah. And I, um, and I see, and I see this in your work, you know, um, just, you know, just, your ability to just blend all of this, you know, um, and write these compelling narratives. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it it is so crucial. And I, when I was teaching, I I would even even students who had very high GPAs and you know, obviously were successful in school, and they and they could not tell a good storyline. They couldn't tell a good narrative. And I, I it, it's so essential to su- success in life. I would uh, even tell program people. I would say, listen, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be able to tell the world what you're doing and why your program is important, like in 25 words or less, summarize it. And then that's to be compelling. Uh, and uh, if you can't do that, uh, then uh, you're, you're, you're kind of in trouble. And it's, uh, uh, you know, obviously when you're writing a book, you have many more words to tell your story in, but you still have to tell it well. And, and, it, and it has to be uh, convincing. I do have one thing I want to get in before we, uh, we, we run out of time. I, it was about the origin of this book. And I, I didn't, you know, I had written, uh, I, I wrote a, a memoir about my early years after World War II, you know, growing up in, out of a, in a working class neighborhood and sort of escaping from that. I wrote a book about my policy career, all the battles and welfare and, and poverty and, you know, both as an academic and as a policy uh, wonk. And then I've written some, you know, fictional stuff, uh, all, all of it, which was fine. So, uh, I, but I never had an intention of writing. Uh, I had worked with my old colleagues from Peace Corps mm-hmm. and putting together some edited works of our stories, but I never intended to write one myself. But I had a colleague at the university. She's now an associate dean. Uh, and she, and we, but we had worked together closely and she read that edited was edited Peace Corps story. And she said, you know, uh, we had two groups in our Peace Corps. One was mostly women doing public health. The other one was mostly guys doing agricultural and rural development. And she said, you know, the gals did good work, but you guys were really clueless. I mean, you really didn't know what the hell you were doing. And I, <laughs> yeah. I you know, a little bit, but then I realized she was right. <laughs> we were really clueless. And she said that would make these stories would make a great mash sitcom. Not not Korean War and uh, you know uh, and a mash unit, but in, in India in the Peace Corps. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she kept saying it. She kept saying <laughs> over it. And finally, I sat down and I said, maybe she's right. Maybe maybe so. This is a very this is a very funny book, and most of my books have a lot of humor in them. Yeah. Uh, but but there's, there's also drama and there's insight and there's a lot of um, you know sadness as well as joy and laughs and so forth. Try to mix it all in. Uh, and if you want the experience, if you want to feel what the experience was like, you obviously can't do it. You can't go back then. This is probably the next best bet. And, it, and this is probably a real good time to, to grab a book like this uh, to to be able to to, to feel. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark all those emotions are uh, a lot of times it you know we we get so so locked in and and and, and so uh we we are not a, not able to uh to release that you know and and in in a in a book that's able to uh to capture all of those emotions and and to be able to uh to narrate, to, to narrate, uh, oh, here I go. <laughs> to to be <laughs> to be able to tell the to, to be able to tell yeah. the yeah yeah thank you thank you so much. <laughs> to, be able, to be able to tell the story and you know in in such a matter you know and give you a, give you a great timeline. Um, you know, it's, I think part of what I in writing some some of these retrospectives works books i'm struck by the difference in the eras um in the sense that we had a lot of problems in the in the 50s and 60s and so mm-hmm. forth i mean racial apartheid you know the cold war you know we worry about you know school kids going through active shooting drills well back in my day we had uh, uh diving under our desks to avoid uh, nuclear war, you know, uh, explosions. I mean, we, right. we were convinced and the government was convinced uh, that the, the Russians were going to drop the big one and we had all those drills. So every, every generation has its uh, traumas and its uh, fears, but we had so much more hope back then. I mean, I, I was a poor kid from a working class neighborhood and I could easily work my way through a private college. Uh, I would say easily, I had to work 11 to 7, but I could do it. And when I was at the end of my teaching career at the University of Wisconsin, I'd, I'd look out over those students and they were just anxious and they were, uh, they were debt ridden. Uh, and I thought, I felt so bad for them because part of the reason we could run off and try to save the world was that we weren't obsessed with getting uh, with the fu- our futures and getting a job. Right. We thought that things would take care of themselves because there was so much opportunity exactly. ahead of us. Exactly. And it's not, I just don't feel it's the same anymore. And that's a shame. Yeah, there's, there's not enough optimism. Um, and, you know, when there's not enough optimism um, in the atmosphere, uh, there's, there's so much pessimism. And um, there's just feeling of doom and uh, hypervigilance. Um, you know, it, it, it usually stirs the whole uh, climate of uh, of their environment, you know, and, you know, it's, it, and it's not good, you know, so you, you need to project more, more hope uh, and you, you need to be able to feel um, all of the, all the emotions you need to feel. And, uh, and, 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 and then you need to do as the, uh, uh, the Hebrews uh, used to do um, with their stories. They they look at their stories and it allowed them to walk backwards um, in time. 
instead of um, walking with their eyes forward. So uh, as they're reading stories, it allows them to walk backwards. Um, they're, they're looking at uh, all of the experiences that they ever uh, felt. And I feel like this, uh, this is what your books do, you know. Um, Very good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a marvelous way to, to spend one's golden years. And now that I'm quarantined, wow, <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful. But, uh, it, it, you know, they, the old aphorism about uh, a life on exam is not worth living. Well, you know, so I've, I've certainly examined mine for, for sure, but it's, uh, uh, I, I, what I found is that I, uh, I really enjoy the process you know, uh, a lot. And that that's key. If it were a burden, I wouldn't do it. But the uh, and a lot of people look at a blank page and they panic. And they, you know, I mean, I, I look at the uh, equations and I panic. But written words, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know about I don't know on anyone who doesn't. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know a lot of e- e- economists who love <laughs> equations. And uh, I, I joke with my neighbor. Uh, two doors down he was a mathematics professor at, at the university and we, yeah. he he still he, he always uh complains to me that i've never read one of his books and i said your books don't have any english words in them you know, <laughs> <laughs> <all> the questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah they swear that numbers are perfect so i i you know i still haven't figured that out yet so <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, he said it's the universal language mathematics yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay good <laughs> I still can't understand it. Yeah, definitely. So, if you can give you know any any of your own wisdom and advice, you know, um, for you know, um, you know, any you know, you, you probably have something else you you cooking up, you know, while you you know uh, sitting around, you know, um, you may have some some things you might be you know you might even continue writing. So, if you had any more advice, you know, for what things are we looking like if we applied, you know, um, what you have written so far uh, to our, to our daily reading uh, list uh, while we're sitting around uh, and to what, what well, the world will look like in 10 years. Um, what, what would you say? I have no idea what the world is, uh, is going to look like even in 10 months, given the uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, today. yeah I know. Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, um, I, I, like I said, I, some some of my writing has been, you know, sort of looking back, and you know, I'm not going to try to summarize the lessons that I've included in those, but the, but they are there. And if anyone wants a, a more complete list, they can go to www.booksbytomcorbett.com. And, and all the recent books books are there, uh, both in kind of organized into nonfiction and fiction. Um, in it, it, so in the in the in the fictional books, there are three of them. I'm going to write a fourth one, uh, and they kind of all connected. Three of them are going to be a trilogy when I finish the the the, the next one. They. Uh, are fiction, but there's a lot of my political, you know, philosophy in there as well, and my sense of what's at stake in uh, both in the world 
today uh, as we sort of confront people like you know Donald Trump and and sort of this conservative uh, nativist xenophobic you know kind of rising up not only in the United States but around around the world. There's a lot of that, those themes that run through those the, the, the fictional books, and uh, the trilogy really is based upon a, a family in Afghanistan, a family in the United States. They get they connect, uh, and they and their lives become intertwined. Uh, but it, I, I try to uh, you know take a lot of the, the events that have occurred over the last 20 years and make them powerful and emotional and and uh, and relevant, but I think that we do have uh, some. You know, we every every. Let me back up and say every generation feels it's the most important generation and it's facing the biggest problems. Certainly, we did in the Cold War, uh, and so on and so forth. And yet, you know, when I, I when I look at it, it, it currently, what what's at stake, just with respect to climate change. With respect to you know our our democratic traditions that are being threatened and and so on and so forth, there these are high stakes times and uh, and I think it's important to understand the currents uh, the, in which all these things take place, the background. One thing that I've I've always been disappointed in, and sort of a lot of. Um, you know, students, maybe it's even more so today than back in, in my youth, is that they're ahistorical. They don't really see the bigger picture, the longer term picture. And I think that partly comes from, uh, you know, the social media that we have today. Everything is instantaneous. People don't get into things in depth. So uh, you know, reading books is, a, is, is something that requires time. Right. And you have to take the time, and you have to get involved. And I, and I, I think that if someone has a chance to to get either in the nonfiction or even the, or the fiction, uh, you get a chance to really think more deeply about uh, issues that that are, that are communicated through rich characters that are developed and rich, you know, and, and the interactions among among these characters and the choices that uh, they have to make. Uh, and one of them, the, for my first fictional book was a little bit based on my own life, you know, although I made, didn't make the same decisions, but someone who made a decision in the 1960s to go to Canada instead of going to Vietnam. And, and then it jumps ahead several decades to uh, where he's looking back over his life. <clears throat> and uh, and what, what, the, what that decision meant um, for himself and his relationships and and uh, and so on and so forth. So, like I said, uh, we draw upon our own experiences and traditions for the meat of our of our stories, and uh, I do as well. So, I'll I'll leave it at that. I like it. Definitely, you know, you know, you you definitely have you know really really helped us out today. You know, you re- really have um, you know. Uh, just been a blessing here today. You know, it, it's truly, uh, truly remarkable to, you know, uh, be able to talk to someone, you know, like, like yourself. And, uh, you know, it's been jam packed today with, uh, just all of the, the content, you know, and 
you have expressed here. Uh, so do us a favor and uh, once again, just uh, give us that website once again and, um, uh, and, and share with us all of the title, um, titles um, of, uh, of each book. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have four photos. Remember some old It's like remember your what? kids' name. You know, but, <laughs> you, know you know what? I can help you out. <laughs> you need me to. Yeah, I, 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 maybe. I'll, yeah, good. I might forget one. But yeah. it's, the, the website is uh, well www.booksbytomcorbett.com and and uh, I the 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 not the, the the nonfiction books um, start with uh, Confessions of a Clueless Rebel. And that's my uh, sort of my early years breaking away uh, from my Catholic working class culture to become a different person. And it's, but it's written in a very funny style. Uh, then C- Confessions of a Wayward Academic, which is the story of my uh, years uh, battling uh, welfare reform and poverty issues when those were front burner issues. I mean, when everyone was talking about them. And then conf- uh, Confessions of an Accidental Scholar is kind of a, a compilation of some of my thoughts and writings, a little more academic. It's, I'm not sure that's really great for a public consumption, but it's sort of but for someone who likes to think hard about things, it brings together some of my better thoughts. And then on the fictional side, uh, we've got Casual Choices, uh, which uh, is the one I mentioned about a uh, little bit kind of drawn from uh, some of my own choices in, in life. But uh, someone who's forced out of the country, you know, caught up in the 1960s, has to make a choice of which direction he goes, uh, flees, and then it's, you know, like a retrospective 40 years later. Uh, then there's a palpable passions and ordinary obsessions. Those are the first two books of a trilo- trilogy uh, where I talked about the Afghani family and the American family. Very rich character development. Uh, summarizes a lot of the political and social themes that we've been, and international sort of tensions that we've been uh, experiencing over the last two decades, um, uh, and, and so forth. And the, the third, when I get finished that, uh, of that trilogy, will be called Felicitous Face, where I kind of bring it to a conclusion in the Trump era, um, or the post-Trump era, hopefully. Um, and uh, and then in between here, I, I have to, uh, a colleague of, of mine and I uh, have a contract to do a second edition of an academic book, but that's an academic book and it's not, uh, you know, it's on evidence-based policymaking, uh, if you like that kind of thing. Okay. So those are the, uh, those are the, uh, uh, the, the, the recent works, and uh, I hope people have a chance to take a look maybe even take a peek and uh, I, they get good reviews. I mean, like Confessions of a Clueless Rebel had 4.9 out of five stars on Amazon to be their reviews. I mean, and, and Confessions of a Wayward Academic is like 4.7 out of five. I mean, they get, people like them. I uh, get good, good feedback. 
truly, truly amazing. You know, you, you definitely are putting the work in and you are definitely an asset to this universe. Um, you know, you just don't say earth anymore. You got to say universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, you, you definitely have, uh, you know, put your foothold, um, you know, put, you put your foot, yeah, is it foothold or footprint? Yeah, we want to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so footprint. Yeah, you put your footprint in the sand, you know, and uh, you, you and in the mud, you know, for us to follow, follow behind. And we, we truly appreciate you so much. And, you know, uh, it, it's truly, you know, definitely truly been an honor today. And uh, we, we definitely want to support you in all you're doing. And, and if you ever doing anything uh, new or if you just want to stop on by and just uh, say hi uh, definitely do that you know um, you know if you uh, and if we when we come out of quarantine if you uh, in, ever in the neighborhood and if you're in Milwaukee you know uh, I will definitely treat you to a bus game you know so, <laughs> so whenever that season starts up so or a brewer game you know we got the bucks and the brewers here in Milwaukee so so yeah um uh, so with that being well, said, thank you so much for, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so with that being said, you know, I, I, I do um, uh, want to have you hold the line just briefly here. You know, we'll, we'll take care of some things here. Uh, so I just hope uh, close close the uh, the podcast here. Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, uh, we just had an awesome conversation with uh, Tom Corbett. Uh, make sure you do check him out on his website. The links uh, to uh, the link to the website will be available in the episode description. Make sure you do check out the episode description for his link and all other available links in the description of the book and as well as the about the author. Um, and you can catch anything else you need additional in the episode description too. Make sure you share the link uh, to this podcast episode recording with your friends, family members, and also your frenemies. You want your frenemies to become your friends because they will appreciate you once they hear back this recording. They will love it. They will enjoy it. They will enjoy the books. You want them to buy the books. Once you you yourself buy the book, buy a couple, buy all of them. Heck, buy two of each, maybe three. Yeah, that'll be great. And, and while you're at it, hit a con, hit the contact. Um, there's a contact section in the website too. Um, hit some, uh, do some testimonials uh, and maybe some Amazon reviews would be great too. And uh, of course, subscribe to this podcast. Um, that'd be awesome too. So until next time, I'm your host of the Transform You Live Show, Marcus Hart. Until next time, this is the only place where you can make real transformation in your life. Uh, using the power of optimism, hope, and faith. Until next time, many blessings, peace, and lots of love. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.